0: Nehemiah chapter 10 verse 39 for the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the corn of the new wine and the oil unto the chambers where are the vessels of the sanctuary and the priests that minister and the porters and the singers and we will not forsake the house of our God may God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer you may be seated we will not forsake the house of God now, this passage, of course, is set in the midst of Nehemiah's ministry uh, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem to ensure that the nation could establish its identity after years of destruction and captivity. In the midst of the celebration, and uh, they, the people renewed their commitment that is found here in this passage. We will not forsake uh, the house of God. Now, when they were talking about the house of God, obviously, in Nehemiah's day, they were talking about the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, today, uh, the house of God is a New Testament church. And we're told that very plainly in the book of Titus, uh, that we might know how to conduct ourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Uh, I, it's just a, a wonderful thing when we understand that uh, in the New Testament times, uh, we, we say it all the time, it's still true. It's not the building itself. Uh, it is the people uh, who compose uh, the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we move things, even though we're going from the Old Testament to the New Testament, even though the concept changes somewhat, uh, still I think it is a great time for us to champion the view that is expressed in this passage of Scripture. What a great night for us to make a commitment. We will not forsake the house of our God. The very fact that they would make this confession would tell us that it could be forsaken. And in fact, they had lived this out. If you want to read sometime the book of Ezra, you'll see that Ezra's uh, task and the reason why uh, the book of Ezra was written and the reason why that Ezra uh, did what he did was because the people had gone back to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. They'd built their own houses. They'd built their businesses. But the house of God was in ruins. And the house of God was forsaken. And so now they're saying, no, that, that's not going to happen. We're not going to let that happen again, they said. We're going to commit ourselves to making sure that the house of God is not forsaken. Now in the text, we're going to consider several things... Uh, that they did to make sure that they would live out this confession because we all know it. It's one thing to make a commitment. It's another thing to put it in practice. Uh, It's one thing to say, I'm going to do this or I'm going to stop this. It's another thing to live it out. And so they put some things in place that would help them do it. And the first one is uh, they considered their ways. They considered Their ways. In verse 1. Now on the twenty and fourth day of this month the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers, and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day, and another fourth part they confessed. And worshipped the Lord their God. You know, Haggai was another prophet that God sent to these people. In Haggai chapter 1 and verse 5, he famously said, Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. And this was a time then when they spent a fourth part of the day in the public reading of Scripture. Yeah fourth part of the day? Did I mention it was a fourth part of the day? Fourth of the day. Oh, how glorious that would be. I don't know if I'd have a voice left at the end of that time, but it'd be fun to try it out sometime just to see how we'd do with six hours, four hours, commentary is different about how they, how they reckoned a fourth part of the day. Either one, There was a time then to consider the reading of the Word of God. And then how about this one? They had an altar call, an invitation where people responded. And for another fourth part of the day, they repented. They sought God. They confessed their sins. And they worshipped. What a story. So they spent some time then considering their ways, how they were living, how they were doing it. And we see then how this played out for them. This considering of their ways involved a humbling of themselves before God. The Bible says they had sackcloth on. Uh, Some of you may have had dresses or clothes at some time made of sackcloth. Uh, my mother has talked about that. Growing up on a cotton farm in South Arkansas, they had clothes often that were made of, of uh, flour sacks, if I remember correctly. And some of you may have had some of those at some time. I never did. Uh, but in Bible times, this was a very rough fabric, but regardless of which time it was, whether it was in the Depression era, 1930s of South Arkansas, or whether it was in the days of Israel, sackcloth was something that impoverished people, poor people. People where money was in short supply would wear this kind of clothing. It was rough. It was designed to show a state of humility then before God. And they advanced this in by throwing dirt in the air And allowing it to come down on their head. Uh, Our word humus, of course, means dirt. And it is a a root of the word humility. Part of what it means to humble ourselves doesn't mean that we throw dirt on ourselves. But it means we get down near the dirt. uh, Get on our knees or on our faces before God. The point that that we see in these passages then with them humbling themselves before God was that they made a response. The great evangelist Vance Havner warned of how people tend today to sit dry-eyed and unmoved through service after service after service. Do so we humble ourselves and seek the Lord? You know, the Bible still said, Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O oh God, thou wilt not despise they humbled themselves. Then they separated themselves. Verse 2, the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. This means that the people of Israel got away from the worldly crowd that was among them. And a part of their way of considering, the way they were living their life was to consider how much time they were spending mixing and mingling with the worldly crowd and becoming like them that's how by the way the house of God ends up forsaken and so they they separated themselves there was a confession of sins they weren't looking at everybody else and what they were doing Uh, they were thinking of themselves and their families and their households and they weren't thinking of somebody else's failures or somebody else's mess-ups or mistakes but their own so then their prayers, their confession, they considered their own failures. But they also considered the blessings of God. That's where the worship came in. Because there's something about considering our sins and calling on God in repentance that causes, on us, causes us to consider how blessed we are. And how undeserving we are of those incredible blessings of God. Which then leads us back to Thanksgiving. And praise and worship I say, thought of God and his grace. So a part then of them uh, coming before God and seeking him and making that commitment that they would not forsake the house of God was to consider their ways. And that involved that humbling of themselves and separating themselves and confessing their sins. Then they committed their ways. In Nehemiah 10 and 29, it says, They clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, a servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and His judgments and His statutes. You see, when we consider our ways, when we repent of our sins, when we thank God for his blessings upon us, that uh, takes care of our past and our present, but it doesn't deal very much with our future. And when they look to the future in order to ensure that the house of God would not be forsaken, they made some commitments. One of them... Uh, They made a commitment to build their fellowship on the word of God. Isn't it interesting? The Bible says they clave to their brethren. Uh, They made a commitment to seek and to value the fellowship with their brothers and sisters in Christ. I've preached on this a lot. uh, But I don't think I've preached on it too much. And sometimes I wonder if I've preached on it enough. Because... Fellowship is something that we have to work at these days. In a different time, fellowship seemed to come easier. And even the country music theologians understood that there was something different about the world when the world had a front porch. And folks could just gather up and fellowship on the front porch and drink tea That kind of fellowship doesn't just happen for us. I'm not sure what all the causes are. We could talk about it a lot. But I know one thing, you can go to church at Faith Baptist for a long time and be, for the most part, a stranger to everybody there. Maybe you know the pastors. Maybe a few people know you. But you see them all the time. We have to work on fellowship. And they understood that. If we're going to make sure that we don't forsake the house of God, then we're going to have to cleave to our brethren. <laughs> that's a great word. We're going to have to stick together. I, I used to preach a lot about being a Velcro church, and it's still a, a good a concept. I don't want to be a Teflon church. I want to be a Velcro church. I want to be in that place where we stick together, where we build relationships. And that's tough. We're busy. We might say we don't have time for more fellowship, but if we want to make sure that our church is not forsaken, this is one of the things we need to do. It's easy to dismiss one another because of weakness and failures, but we need each other, and we need each other for accountability. If you want to walk with the Lord and maintain that walk with the Lord, you need to surround yourself with people who are also committed to walking with the Lord and making sure that you have good, solid fellowship with God's people. Not only did they build their fellowship around the Word of God, but they also built their families on the Word of God. They determined, verse 30, that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land nor take their daughters for our sons. You see, God had forbidden them uh, to allow their children to intermarry with the wicked crowd. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, by the way, still says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, I'm not going to tell you tonight that everything that 2 Corinthians 6.14 means or implies is that Christian people should not marry unbelievers. I'm not going to tell you that. It it means a lot more than that. Being yoked together can come together in a lot of different situations. We cannot avoid all communion or interaction with unbelievers because that would destroy our witness and testimony. But there are ways and situations where we might find ourselves yoked together with unbelievers. And especially when it comes to marriage and those kind of deep relationships. I think overall, though, what this was for them was a commitment that they were not going to surrender their children to run with the world. We're not going to give them up to just let them run wild and run amok. Uh, We might think that we're the first generation in history to invent immorality. Immorality. We haven't. It was around in Bible times too. Study the Canaanite culture and you'll know that they knew all about immorality. It's not like we're inventing a lot of different ways to sin. They knew all about it. Their idolatry was full of scenes of, of forbidding immorality. Yes, they knew what it was. And this commitment was simply that they were not going to allow their families To be caught up into that lifestyle. Then they committed also to build their finances on the word of God. So they developed their fellowship around the word of God. They built their families on the word of God. But they also then talked about their finances. Verse 31. And if the people of the land bring or Any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day. That we would leave the seventh year in the exaction of every dead. Also, we made ordinances for us to charge ourselves yearly with the third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God. Now, a lot of these things related to the law of Moses. Obviously so. We don't live under the law of the Sabbath anymore. Uh, we don't uh, have to obey that seventh year proclamation that caused... Uh, the cancellation of debts and all those things no we we don't we don't live by that law they did but that law was done away with the cross of Jesus Christ but we can see a principle that these people put in place and i think this principle can be stated very clearly this way when it came to their finances they made a commitment that they were their money their income was going to be rightfully gained Uh, They weren't going to make their money by trading in ways or doing business practices that were contrary to the Word of God. They wanted it rightfully gained. And then rightfully spent, rightfully spent. Uh, They wouldn't support all of those people who were doing business that was contrary to the Word of God. They wouldn't do that. And then faithfully given to the cause of Christ, that third part of the shekel. And you see that, by the way, all the way up into the New Testament. You remember when Jesus would send Simon Peter out to catch a fish and he caught a fish with the, with the gold coin in his mouth and he said, go pay your, what they were paying then was what was known as the temple tax, that third part of a shekel that all the Jewish men were required to give every year. They made that commitment and they kept that commitment so that they would see and ensure that the house of God would not be forsaken. It was on January 15th, 1975, when this church held its first service. January 15th, 1975. Now, I'm just going by what we have on our website I haven't looked back any further, but uh, that's uh, simply what it says, that we began meeting in January 15, 1975. We were a mission church uh, sponsored by the Faith Baptist Church in North Little Rock. And the missionary, the missionary pastor who began the work was named Ralph Cunningham. Many of you knew him. I knew him. Some of you may have been in that service. Uh, no doubt there were probably several people who were still there. Apparently there were 36 in attendance according to what's on our website. January 15th, 1975. Now some of y'all are doing the math. <laughs> and so let me, let me just make sure. Yeah, that, that means that here in a couple of weeks, this church is going to begin its 50th year of ministry in the city of Cabot. Fifty years. By the end of another year, then, we'll be celebrating our 50th anniversary. Um, Sometimes we might ask, "Well, well, what difference will it make 50 years from now? Well, what those people did 50 years ago, almost 50 years ago, back in 1975, has made a big difference in the lives of a whole lot of people in Cavett, Arkansas. And tonight we can remind ourselves and reflect on the fact that what we're doing now in 2024 can have the same or perhaps even greater impact as far as the numbers are concerned on the lives of people if another 50 years are granted to us for ministry. They say, Well, I don't think it's going to be 50 years till Jesus comes back. I've told you before, they were telling me that when I was a little boy. And I still believe every word of it now, just like I did then, because Jesus is coming back, and it could be at any time. And while we anticipate his glorious return as a blessed hope, And we look for that glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We also have to look ahead. What if He gives us another fifty years to add to this? Well, I hope that if another fifty years pass, that there'll be a preacher standing in this pulpit and in this building. Or whatever may have been built to replace it. A preacher who believes in preaching the word of God with power and with conviction. That he'll be standing here preaching to people who love the word of God. And who are making a commitment then to live by it. That's that's what I I hope to see. That's what I, I want to see. I won't be here to see it. I won't live another 50 years. Most of you won't either. To see what we do can have a profound impact on this community for a long, long time. If we make that commitment that we will not forsake the house of our God and teach it to our children. So that tonight we consider our ways... And we commit our ways unto the Lord. Because there is a very real danger. Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah would come back to the people saying in verse 11. Then contended I with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered in together and set them in their place. You see, for all of their commitment and all of their consideration, for everything that they promised and all that they said, they still forsook the house of God. It's easier to do than we'd like to admit. Unless I badly miss my estimation, the people of God and the churches of the living God who contend for the faith, who preach the truth, Who believe the Bible and try to live by it. Those kinds of folks are going to be facing some hard times in this country and in our world. Will people stand for what they know to be right? Will they stay with the house of God or will they forsake it? Let's make it our commitment, make it our plan. Consider our ways to make our own commitments about it. And though we cannot guarantee what our children or grandchildren will do, we can say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We'll not forsake the house of our God.